Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything Gundam-related, from Gunpla, which are the Gundam models, to Gundam lore, anime series, manga, the upcoming movie, ideas, anything and everything that is Gundam. Isn't that right, Brian? That is right. And today, Isaac, we have an episode which I'm not even really sure how to start with. We are going to review, discuss, talk about the first half of the show, Gundam Wing. That's right. Mobile Suit Gundam Wing or just Gundam Wing. I forgot what the technical full name of it is. But you know what? We haven't done a series in a while, a televised anime series of Gundam in a while. And we chose Gundam Wing, Brian, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Gundam Wing's pretty important for us. Gundam Wing was the first, I'll say, big push the Gundam had in America. So that's where a lot of fans, you know, came from, uh, was from Gundam Wing. So I think it it, uh, it has a special place in America's Gundam history, Isaac. Yeah, that's a good way of uh, of putting it. I remember in the 90s at my junior high. Oh, wow. Dated myself. Whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> I remember it came on like uh, Toonami, I think, or somewhere on Cartoon Network, and it was a big hit. Everybody was talking about it. Some people got like the models and stuff. I had like a vague idea of what was going on. It sounds like a lot of people, this was really their intro to Gundam. If you look on places to watch it today, it'll just be called Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. But I think the technical name used to be New Mobile Report Gundam Wing, but no one ever calls it that. So, huh. But yeah, it's a series, 49 episodes. It was released... Isaac in April of 1995 in Japan. Of course. It made it over here to Toonami on Cartoon Network in March of 2000. So a little later than you remember. And today it's available on Blu-ray. You can watch it on Funimation, Hulu. And now and then the official Gundam YouTube channel, Gundam Info, puts it on their channel for free. So I think it's not on there right now, but it it was a few months ago. So it'll be back one day if you want to watch it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Isaac, this was the second alternate universe series after G Gundam. So G Gundam came out in 94, and that was like, this is the first thing that's not Universal Century. And then 1995 hit, and they followed G Gundam up with Gundam Wing. Those are two very different things, and they're both very different from the Universal Century. You took the words right out of my mouth. If anything, they're almost polar opposites in tone. It's like a pendulum swung, right? Like they were like, all right, Mobile Fighter G Gundam, it's going to be really campy and fun. This, we are going to like delve into like a level of politics and political dialogue that'll make the Phantom Menace look like, um, you know, uh, I I don't know, Sesame Street or something. Yeah, a second grade book report. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because man, every character has like, you know, I don't know what what the the standard requirements are in their education system, but whether you grew up in the colonies where you're part of Oz or the United (laughs) Earth Sphere Alliance or whatever, um, you have to take like several mandatory courses in philosophy, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So Isaac, from the Gundam official guide, you ready for the log line here? Do it. After a century of labor, the human race at last succeeded in building space colonies in Earth orbit, which then served as a haven for refugees from the war-torn planet. But when the terrestrial wars ended, a new world government was formed, which forcibly seized control of the space colonies. Now the colonies send five young warriors to Earth to wage guerrilla war against their oppressors, sparking a new conflict which will change the course of human history. Interesting, interesting. Already, I'll say this to its credit before we even get to my thoughts. <laughs> but I'll say this to its credit, at the time and even now, with so many series that have come and gone and movies and all that, it's a very unique 
setting almost out of every other Gundam movie and series, for better or worse. The setting itself is an Earth that's outright oppressive, which is something we almost never see in any Gundam movie or series. And number two, the colonies are just pure victims in this case. There's no one colony that's kind of leading a, a, a revolutionary movement or one colony that, you know, decided to, to become space fascists. Um, in this case, <laughs> it's here are the good guys, here are the oppressed people. We're starting the show. The premise of this plot is excellent. It, it's very yeah. simple, right? Colonies were wronged and they are sending some Gundams out for revenge. It's hard to mess that up, Isaac. I know, right? <laughs> but but anything in life is possible, including messing up a great premise, especially with something as cool as okay, there's like five Gundams and like they're being sent. They're gonna fight. They're gonna fight this oppressive evil government. You're like, wow. Not only does it sound like a good thing for a series, that could be like a great game, right? You know, and and everything. It's just wow. And then <laughs> the series actually starts, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> And there, there's a second paragraph here in the in the guide, which I want to read a few words from, because I think this sums up a lot of our thoughts. Sure. Gundam Wing has an ingenious blend of familiar elements from the earlier series combined with brooding pretty boy heroes to give it a broader appeal to female viewers. While it leans heavily on stock footage of the invincible heroes trashing legions of disposable enemies and sometimes bogs down in extended speechifying about peace and human destiny, Gundam Wing's nifty gadgetry and enigmatic charisma of its heroes make for an engaging romantic adventures. Here you go, Isaac, this last sentence is for you. Attentive viewers can also occupy themselves by attempting to decipher its incredibly convoluted plot, rife with conspiracies, coups, and sudden reversals. They're right. I mean... <laughs> I'd say about 75% of that that second paragraph was right. Uh, the allure part, they lost me because uh, I know we normally do our kind of review at the end or our thoughts and closing thoughts, but I have to say just going into this here at the start of this episode, I did not enjoy this the first time I saw it way back when, and I did not enjoy this now having rewatched this first half today <laughs> the, the final episodes of the first half today i thought this series was poorly written i thought it had maybe some confusion about what it wanted to be about and say as a series i really did not enjoy almost every episode it, it, it became it, it essentially got to the point where i was enjoying how much i didn't like it and how silly and ridiculous things got that'll be my opening remarks <laughs> <laughs> oh boy thoughts brian <laughs> i'm largely on board with that i think though we should reiterate the point that if gundam wing wasn't successful in america then the original show wouldn't have made it here and we you know we wouldn't be fans of gundam you got me there and i feel like a lot of people that have such fondness for this series such love for it what they're really saying was i was a kid in the 90s i saw this and i remember i really liked that at the time if you watch it now though <laughs> I think you'll be able to see a lot of the flaws and you'll kind of roll your eyes at some of the, the lines people make and <laughs> the overall plotting and the, the, the pace of the story, the writing, because, yeah, I'm going to say this is not a good series. I didn't enjoy it. Go, going back to your point, Brian, or your, your historical note that this was kind of the entry point for a lot of people. At the time in the 90s, uh, boy bands were very big. Yeah. And I think we mentioned in another podcast about how our, our theory is the reason that these five pilots all happen to be under the age of 20 
<laughs> it's because <laughs> they really wanted a boy band without it being a boy band. Yeah. So this is the, as close as you can get within a Gundam series. Yeah, I agree. I think nostalgia yeah. goggles are very powerful here for this series. So just fair warning, if you're a big Gundam Wing fan, this isn't going to be a good episode for you. It's probably going to be a bit of a bloodbath here. <laughs> um, but that 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 is not meant to diminish Gundam Wing's importance to the overall development of, of the Gundam fandom. Because I do think it's very important. I just think if, yeah. if... I bet, you know, the people who really love it, I bet you loved it back then. And, and what you're seeing today is, is what you loved back then. But if you were to watch it for the first time, I wonder if you'd have that same opinion. Yeah, I mean, if you like it, you like it. You know, yeah. there's some series I'm sure I like that you think are ridiculous and stupid. But uh, <laughs> maybe there's people out there that like, they really like the fact that, you know, hundreds of Leos would just get annihilated by one Gundam. <laughs> you know, they really like the fact yeah. that, you, you know, a, a duo is able to like hack it to a school. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what the allure was for a lot of people. But yeah, here we are. It, it, say what you will about Gundam Wing, it's famous. That said, it's a unique setting in that it feels almost closer to our world, I'd say, than a lot of other series, if that makes sense. We have kind of a an evil conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> of like European royalty that own like military uh, manufacturers and they actually control this world government that went out and took over the colonies. This series is almost grounded in a way, not just because of all its politics talk, but also because there's no new types. There's no old types. There's nothing of that sort. They even don't really have robotics in the same way that a lot of different series do, like Universal Century. We never see like a Haro, the mandatory Haro. That's not in here. So it, it's overall a very grounded series, I, I think. Or what I thought was interesting about this one, Isaac, was that there was no magical particle, right? Yeah, great point. No special liquid fuel they need or anything like that. No, no magical energy. There's no space elevators that you know are vital for solar power or anything like that. The main thing here, I guess, is gundanium alloy. So the Gundams are made out of this very rare alloy called gundanium alloy, and that's why they're called Gundams. There's no acronym. <laughs> it's not general purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uninucleic <laughs> drive. All right. <laughs> And so then one last thing before we dive into the full Monty here. What was your experience with Gundam Wing before rewatching it here? You said you had watched the, the whole series before? Right. I had watched the whole series before. Honestly, at the time, I think a lot of it went over my head. I was just kind of happy, like, oh, okay. You know, evil suits fighting good suits. Yay. Battle, explosions. Okay. You know, lasers. Wow, this is great. And then, like, I think my mom got me the Mercurius. And I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And because <laughs> I definitely wouldn't get the good guys. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was about it. She got me like the 140 or 144 scale. Got it. Okay. So, my experience, and this is for frame of reference, I think I had seen a handful of episodes of the show. I didn't have cable until this was off Toonami. So, I never got to watch it live. I did attempt to watch it once or twice in the early 2000s. I don't think I ever made it all the way through. I did, however, buy the OVA, the movies, uh, Endless Waltz, and I've, I've probably seen those five or six times wow but i never i don't think i ever watched all 50 episodes or whatever this show that's setting the stage listeners so isaac how do you even want to talk about this show i i ended up with a list of what the f moments a list of moments when hero was a savage and then just a bunch of other i don't know things i want to ask you wow <laughs> this is like a multi-episode thing right because you, <laughs> you kind of packed it up like top hero moments and like you know re reasons that made me scratch my head <laughs> 
you know, what exactly is Oz? You know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> why don't we do like, I, I really want to get into those because those sound like fun and, and like, we can definitely run off on tangents. But uh, off the top of your head, can we hold hands and run down the road and give like a quick timeline of episode one to episode 26 in general, what happens? Right. This is how I view it in my in my mind, Isaac. I'm going to say the first half has like three parts. Okay. The first third, the first eight episodes or so, seem like a series of very loosely connected events that could have been condensed to two to three episodes. And that basically consists of us meeting all five Gundam pilots, them figuring out that they got sent to Earth to fight Oz to take revenge for the assassination of the colony leader named Hiro Yui, who is confusingly has the same name as main character of the show 20 years ago. <laughs> Well, we're on Hero Yui's name. Isn't that the equivalent of like the Navy SEAL, like the leader of the Navy SEAL, SEAL Team Six that they sent to like get Osama bin Laden? Isn't that the equivalent of like his code name was George Washington? You know, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> right? It's like, well, is this necessary? <laughs> I keep waiting for them to explain heroes, our hero's name, a little more. But yes, so the colony leader Hero Yui was assassinated by Oz twenty years ago. And the colonies are now sending these five Gundams to take revenge. However, they failed to tell each Gundam pilot that there were four other Gundam pilots all on the same mission at the same time. So the first eight episodes are like these five dudes sort of fumbling around, figuring out that they're not enemies and that they all really have the same uh, mission. And then they all have like random jobs, Isaac, for like no real reason. For some reason, Troa has to work at the circus. Like, did they not give them an allowance? Like, did they make them earn their I own mean, money? Yeah, right. Ugh, so many questions are raised. First, they don't really explain what Oz is, mm -hmm. organization of the Zodiac. You kind of have to piece together that, okay, it's this group of nobles. They own Romafeller. Romafeller controls the United Earth Sphere Alliance, which is this oppressive militaristic world government that took over the colonies. Great. And then from there, yeah, the, the plot is, since the colonies can't communicate because... I guess the United Earth Sphere Alliance doesn't allow colony communication. Right. That was an imposed sanction or something on them that once they took them over, yeah. you can't talk to each other. I found that very, I need my plot to work. Right, right. Otherwise, the Gundam pilots would have been in communication, you know, within minutes of getting on Earth. Right. Yeah, it was so weird. that, Like you said, Troa has time to work at the circus. The hero has time to join a school. Yeah, why does hero go to school? Yeah, why why do you need time off from attacking, you know, these hundreds of military bases that the oppressive world government has? Like, you, who cares? Like, can't you just, like, after you blow up a base, like, you kind of get off on foot and you kind of, you know, go through, like, their mess hall and you're like, okay, well, this food looks, you know, salvageable. I, I guess I'll pack this in my Gundam and keep fighting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then at, at some point, Duo goes to school with him. Yeah, he... <laughs> He's able to, like, find out what school he's going at. He decides to go anyway. <laughs> to me, that's the first third of the show. And then the second part, the second third of this first half, I should say, is Trey's coup or Oz's coup against Third yeah. Sphere Alliance. Trey's Kushranada, the, the leader of Oz, he orchestrates this, I would say, very well-plotted coup, Isaac. I'd say the coup is probably one of the best plot points in the first half. It's easy to do a coup when your whole faction's like in charge of the elite units of the whole military. <laughs> true, true. He arranges for the Gundams to think they're going to destroy all of the Oz leaders in one spot, but he really 
has no Oz leaders there, and instead he has all the other alliance leaders there that actually are <laughs> advocating for, for peace uh, with the colonies, and they want to reopen communication, and it ends up in our heroes, particularly Hero himself, c- killing basically all of their greatest allies in government in one fell swoop, and then Oz seizes control in that power vacuum when all those leaders are, are done. Through that second part, once Oz is in control, Zex, uh, Marquise, the sort of Char clone for this show, defect may be the wrong word, but he, he sort of defects from Oz to kind of go on his, his own hero's journey. He resigns by default. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After that, the Gundam pilots are, are a bit out of sorts. They have no real where to go, so they, they try to go to space, Isaac, and when they make it to space, they're not really greeted with open arms. No, I mean, Brian, was the original plot by the scientists and the rest of the conspirators, all right, we'll send the Gundam pilots to Earth. It's okay if we don't communicate with them. Their orders are simple. Just destroy the, you know, the enemy military. That's it. And then that really bites them in the ass, though, because <laughs> as the political situation changes, the Gundam pilots probably really wish they had, you know, communication with their superior officers in the colonies and stuff like that. Right, right. Or someone on Earth that they could talk to that would coordinate such communication. Yeah. Right. Just re- relay some simple instructions because we have no idea what to do as the political situation changes. You know, yeah, o- almost overnight, the United Airsphere Alliance stopped being a threat. And, and But that's what doesn't make sense to me. So you could say that. Okay, they didn't communicate because the Alliance didn't allow them to communicate. But then, why did they all launch their Gundams on the exact same day? Was that just a coincidence? Or did they plan a day and be like, all right, well, if we don't see each other, then in five years I'll launch the Gundam? Yeah, I'm assuming it's not a coincidence. I assume as United or Sphere Alliance took each colony and, you know, when the writing was on the wall, the last communications were probably, look, here's the plan. We have the engineers that are, you know, top of the top. We're going to make these Gundams in the future, you know, in 15 years or whatever, how many years. This is the launch day. No matter what you have to do, however you have to hide the Gundam, launch it and get it on Earth to attack. Got it. So that's why in the intro we see each colony really had a different way of getting the Gundam to Earth, right? Some they put in a shuttle. A lot of them put in like these little capsules. Some of the capsules came out of your standard docking bay. Some looked like they came out of secret compartments on the colony. So I, I think that they, they all clearly planned this in advance, knowing that they wouldn't be able to communicate after a while. But not Hero, though. He just flew to Earth just with his Gundam. He's just like, I'm just going to fly. I don't, I don't need a shuttle. Which is a, a horrible idea, right? Because they <laughs> immediately knew it was something. <laughs> you know, Everybody else had a, no trouble getting to Earth, but Hero like, gets shot down by like Zax and all that. Right. So <laughs> I guess I should say here, Isaac, that some of these questions that maybe we'll ask, maybe they were answered in some side story manga series. There, there have been quite a lot of Gundam Wing mangas. Tons. This, this series has spawned so many manga. It, it has. And I believe one of the chief reasons for those mangas was to clear up the plot, or at least well, that's one of the best things that they did. I think it tells a lot yeah. of the backstory you know, and fills in a lot of the gaps. Yeah, from what I, I read about the production of the series, and this isn't really an attack, this is just something I read for all the the Gundam Wing fans. The writer was also a producer director. Mm. And oftentimes, according to coworkers, he was under a lot of pressure to meet deadlines. So a lot of plots that maybe were set up weren't executed fully, or they didn't explain certain things the way they would have liked with the time that they had. And 
seeing it now, you really do feel that, you know, he, there, there was clearly an effort to say a lot about pacifism and war and people's purpose and things like that. But um, it, it ultimately gets a little muddled with everybody trying to espouse different things. Clearly the writer or writers trying to speak through the characters um, at the same time, them trying to advance the story and all that. I, I think it, at different points, it becomes really a, a big mess. <laughs> yeah, I think at some point it had too many characters. Yeah, and I have to say it's kind of rare as a series in that so few of them die, right? Yeah. I mean, in almost every other Gundam series, as you go along, a lot of supporting characters will die, whether they're pilots or crew members or what. In this case, almost everybody's impervious to damage. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, yeah. Which is one of its failings because you know people are almost never at risk you know it, the leo pilots and everybody else they're being killed left and right but main characters good guys they're almost never in any trouble really and yeah, the the leo plot armor is very thick though when the main characters pilot a leo yeah at that point they can take a ton of damage but other than that they get kicked in the knee and they explode <laughs> <laughs> made out of paper mache they just kind of disintegrate yeah and we'll get to designs later but man these are some hideous villain designs please continue <laughs> And then I'd say after Trey's coup and, and Zex switches, not switches sides, but leaves Oz, then the, the pilots go to space and they're not greeted with open arms because Oz has extended their reach to, to the colonies and has basically, instead of trying to take over the colonies outright with military force, they basically offer them sort of support and say, well, if you let us you know, govern you or control you, then we will protect you. And the colonies basically just agree, which then leaves the Gundams with no one really to fight for, right? They were on Earth to fight for the colonies, and now when they return to space, the colonies have now allied themselves with Oz for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. The last third of this first half is basically the the pilots sort of regrouping, I'll say. And at the end of episode 26, there's a little bit of hope. Some of the Gundams have been destroyed, but now they've been rebuilt, and there's a new Gundam on the horizon. <laughs> it seems like the boy band is about to get back together again at the end of episode 26. Yeah, say what you will about the United Earth Sphere Alliance, but, I mean, they clearly were very effective at getting rid of any type of hierarchy or organized resistance the colonies had. The colonies, even when they get communication back, it's not like, you know, Hero and Duo start getting constant communication from the colony resistance they're still on their own they're, they're almost kind of abandoned really to an extent it seems like just the scientists were the ones kind of in on the the whole plot to fight earth that's one of my questions for you if the colonies just sort of capitulate that quickly to oz they didn't really seem to care about the gundams too much was it really just the engineer's idea it didn't really seem like the <laughs> the bureaucrats of the colonies cared too much yeah i'm assuming they had no idea and also at the same time, well, we got some more resistance characters coming in the second half. But yeah, I would have liked that explained a bit more because you'd think the colonies would be distrustful of any government from Earth trying to, you know, peacefully or, or militarily trying to, you know, force them to kind of unite with them. But um, no, they're very eager for like Oz to open factories. <laughs> <laughs> I, was their economy bad? They never really explained that. But apparently, yeah, they're like, sure, you know, why don't you come aboard and all that, man. <laughs> I mean, I think they like tried to explain it with like one line because there was that one older bureaucrat in the colonies that was very distrustful of Oz. And he seemed very disappointed that the younger bureaucrats were just capitulating to them. So maybe they were trying to pitch it as like these younger people don't remember what Oz did. And that's why that's they're fine true. with it. And Catra's dad. 
Exactly. And Catra's dad didn't want to do it either. No. Well, Catra's dad, what confused me was there was a colony there where he was kind of de facto leader, right? Just yep. because of how wealthy and influential he was. But he was peaceful. So when he doesn't get his way and it becomes clear the colony is going to you know, agree to unite with Oz and Earth, he disconnects a resource asteroid that was connected to the colony that he owns? Well, I think he was in charge of the resource satellite. I don't think he actually controlled the colony. But I was confused about okay. that. Too. I could be totally wrong on that. It wasn't very clear. I agree. Yeah, I was like, okay, I, he owns the asteroid. He mines it with his corporation. He's disconnecting it because he no longer wants to do business with the colony. And in response, the colony destroys him <laughs> with, their, with their beam weapons mounted on their colony. <laughs> Which I didn't really understand because I thought they were trying to... Because like they need his resources, don't they? Like, yeah. Were they gonna like shoot his satellite, kill him, and then go and then go reconnect it? Like, what was the plan there? Yeah, I well, yeah. I hopefully they hit like just his command section of the the asteroid. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, they just kind of ruin their own economy. I assume. <laughs> but, uh, but that's a good example of things in this show where I found myself rewinding key parts to like try to understand what the heck was happening many many times. Yeah, I mean, one thing that <laughs> really confuses me is, you remember Trey's going for a walk around, I think, the Romafella headquarters? Yeah. And there's a woman with some friends, or maybe she's with her family, and, like, her child is, like, going down a pier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's this little baby, like, I don't know, it's a one-year-old or something. It's trying to grab a butterfly, and it's at the end of the pier. It's pretty close to the water. It could fall in. And the woman's very concerned, and she kind of tries to run for it, but Trey stops her. Why? I remember that. I think he was, was he trying to do some sort of like, you know, only the strong survive, like this kid will figure it out. And if not, then that's it for him. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. So if the baby did fall in the water, you don't think Trey's would jump in? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe he was giving the, him the opportunity to figure it out and, and see if he would fall. I, I remember that being weird as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not a big Trace fan, but I'd like to think he would jump in and save the baby, <laughs> but right. you never know at the same time. Maybe he was like, well, I want this baby to make its own decision. <laughs> I hope he knew that woman, right? <laughs> I don't think he did. I thought it, I, I felt it was like she was just a passerby. Some stranger, yeah, some stranger stops you from saving your baby. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, let him do it. She didn't, like, really protest. Yeah, well, she was on the Roman filler grounds, so I'm assuming she knew who he was. He might oh. know who she is. Okay. Maybe she was some, some high up guy's daughter or something hanging out. That's some toxic masculinity right there, Isaac. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Trays, come on. Goodness. So I don't know, Isaac. My notes are in order. Brian, let's go down okay. your notes. All Is right. uniforms on your notes? Are we going to talk about uniforms? I do not have uniforms on here. Although I, I do have one note about uniforms uh, that I want to oh, ask you about. It's we'll not It's not it. about like the official uniforms. It's it's a more of a hypothetical. But Oh, we'll go for it. So I'm going to switch between what the hecks or what the Fs and uh, a hero being a savage slash superhuman. Okay. Do it. What the heck. In one of the, I think it's episode one or two, when the Alliance troops are fighting uh, Wing Gundam, it falls into the sea and then one of them remarks, it can only be made of Gundanium alloy. And then another says, well, then it was a Gundam. And I was like, well, there's never been a Gundam before. So how did, how did you know it was a Gundam? Because that, that doesn't have a name. It, it doesn't have a name yet. Maybe they were like briefed vaguely on, on what they knew about Operation Meteor. Because if you remember, Relena, she's flying next to her dad at the beginning of the series, right? Yeah. They're going from a colony to Earth. Mm-hmm. 
and he like really offhandedly mentions <laughs> apparently secret intel <laughs> from a secret meeting like oh this must be operation meteor or operation m or something and she's like what <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> so he was updated on it and he's a diplomat and even as a diplomat from the way we saw officers from the the earth government the united earth sphere alliance interacting with him he's not very favored <laughs> by um, the establishment so I'm guessing gung-ho soldiers probably had the same intel he did, if not better, about the possibility of there being these things called Gundams, they're made of Gundanium alloy, and they're a threat. All right, from, and the hero's a savage. He sits next to Relina at school, and she invites him to her birthday by giving him a note, I think. And he immediately tears it up and says, I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, like he tore it up in front of everybody. And then he like says that to her quiet enough that only she could hear it. Right. I, but I wasn't even really clear. I didn't remember why he even wanted to kill her. Well, remember she saw who he was? She took off his helmet when he woke up on the beach. Is that it, though? Pretty much, yeah. He like Remember he covered up his face and then like he kind of came to and then he started running and then the ambulance showed up and they tried to save him and he like beat them up and stole the ambulance? Mm, I guess. She's the only one that could piece together. He washed up in a, fil- a flight suit. He's the Gundam pilot. Yeah. So okay. that's essentially why he wanted to kill her. All right, in the same vein, he fences with her classmate and breaks his fencing sword while stabbing the guy through his fencing mask. Yeah. That, that takes a lot of strength. Then during, apparently they have horsemanship at this fancy-ass school. So he's riding his horse, and he jumps really high. Like, if you, if you ever watch, like, the X-Men movies, they're really obsessed with jumping really high. Like, I feel like Hero has jumping powers. Like, he can jump really high. <laughs> then he went in and hacked the school computer system and, and paid all of his bills. Yeah, I guess that answers why, uh, <laughs> how they expect the pilots to survive. You know, they send them to Earth. I guess they've got a good enough hacking skills or access to whatever software they need. Or maybe they got some money in an account where you can just enroll in this private boarding school and at the same time uh hack away whatever you need financially while he's doing he's also looking for missiles to blow up the wing gundam with so that that was (laughs) quite the multitask right there does that imply he like had government systems or something right i I don't know it had to it had to be right he looked at the inventory for like a military base right yeah and then he breaks into the military base with no real effort and wires up the missiles by the way did you notice how many times they steal things in this show I'd say at least every two to three episodes, they're stealing either a carrier for their Gundam, a truck, or they're breaking into some military base of somehow. There, there is no security in the after colony <laughs> century. Yeah, and uh, that kind of continues the problem with this show. Like, there was never any threat by like the guards or the bases, defenses, or anything like that. Uh, did you notice that Relina drives in a pink car? I thought that was hilarious. Oh, her limo, right? From her squinty-eyed chauffeur, Butler? (laughs) It's very Relina. I was very confused when she had her, like, fancy-ass birthday party that was, like, you know, a gathering of nobles, and her her dad's about to leave, and he he drops all these papers, and she sees that the pictures of the shooting stars, and, and she knows that her dad's story about the or the radio story about the meteorites disintegrating is a lie because she saw, you know, Hero wash up on the beach. And then she wonders if he's a little prince. (laughs) <laughs> that was out of left field i mean come on relina's a young girl you know she's thinking whatever thoughts <laughs> young girls have. okay well immediately, <laughs> immediately after that our little prince drives his stolen torpedoes from the military base uh on this truck that he stole and then he runs mm. his classmate off the road who was going to go to the birthday party <laughs> oh, poor guy 
Oh, God. <laughs> Relina runs off from her birthday party to go find Hero at the military port, and she, she tells everyone, I'll be back in a few minutes. Isaac, I don't think she came back in a few minutes. <laughs> no, it was like nighttime by then, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, and then when she finds Hero, she watches him load the torpedoes, and then she astutely observes, those are torpedoes, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> She's a sharp girl, Brian. <laughs> what can I say? Again, I don't really understand why Hero has to go to school. But if he does have to go to school, why doesn't he just kill her at school? He could have killed her any time they were at school. They, they were at school for a long time, apparently, together. Yeah, right? Also, they were alone at the military base. I think the duel shows up, but like at that point... Well, he duel wasn't there the whole time. So she could have killed, he could have killed her then. Right, but he could have killed her during fencing class, during horse class, at the birthday yeah. party. I don't really get it. Speaking of hero of, of duo showing up, so hero's kind of like hurt, right? Because he like falls down the right. cliff, and then duo takes him in to like the medical center. But then like he's like strapped down to the table, and the scientists are collecting data on him. And duo, I guess, brought him there. The scientists say that he has over two hundred bruises and broken bones. Isaac, I don't think that's humanly possible for someone who can uh, get up and walk <laughs> like like hero can. We don't know what kind of analysis they're using, Brian. Maybe they mean like micro bruises or something like that, right? Like very small ones. But but then Duo beats up the doctors so that he can help Hero break out of the facility. So why did Duo bring him to the facility if they had to break out together? I don't think Duo knew he was a pilot, right? At first he thought he was just kind of harassing Rolina at the military mm. base. Then he wanted, you know, Duo, Duo put on his knight in shining armor and he took a gun and he held Hero at gunpoint. And then he probably got confused because Relena tried to protect Hero, even though Hero tried to kill Relena or was at least talking like he was going to kill her. And then, yeah, and then things got even more wild with, uh, you know, Hero got on top of like the torpedoes and then he did like that backflip that injured himself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then they, when they break out, they jump out the window and Hero waits way too long to open up his parachute and he rolls down the rocky hill. And then at the bottom, he's like regretful that he opened his chute and he just didn't die. Maybe he has a death wish, right? Because like he agreed to be a lone pilot. Yeah, everyone in this show, I think, has a death wish, right, Isaac? Maybe not Catra and Troa. I don't know. Because like now they have each other. But <laughs> <laughs> Duo, Duo also doesn't have a death wish. He seems more like the, the most logical and focused one, I think. Hero's just soulless. Like, I can't believe he's the main character sometimes. He's just such yeah. a, an uninteresting, bland, boring character. Like, his personality is, like, stoically empty. He's just a, a tough man on a mission. It's not very interesting, I think. Agreed. He seems like a 90s action hero from a video game that you, the player, play as. Yeah, he doesn't seem like very much a stand-in for the audience because he's so cold and trained and calculating. About this time is when we learn a little bit more about Zex Marquise, who at this point just seems like sort of Trey's right-hand man. Uh, yeah. It turns out that he, his real name is Miliardo Peacecraft, and he's sort of the, the heir to the Sanct <laughs> Kingdom. What a terrible name. <laughs> Miliardo Peacecraft. It is terrible. Well, the Miliardo part is okay, I guess. I'm guessing since all the names in this series are based on numbers, that's a million in some language. Peacecraft. Wow. You know why it's Peacecraft? Because his family is dedicated to pacifism. Oh, see what they did of there? Of course. The Sand Kingdom. They really kind of glossed over why the Sand Kingdom got invaded and conquered by Ramafeller. I guess if you're royalty, you can still get wiped out if you're against the agenda for war. <laughs> right. And Zex is sort of undercover 
with the goal of one day fighting to bring back his kingdom. Is he undercover, though, Brian? Because it seems like it's half of an open secret, right? Well, I got I got a lot of questions about that, too. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of the important people know exactly who he is. Well, not Lady Un, apparently. I guess not, yeah. But, well, I guess you could trust Trey's, right? They have, like, a working friendship, even though they're probably on opposite sides. Trey's seems to implicitly trust Zex, despite knowing that Zex could turn against him one day. Is that fair? Yeah, I suppose so. It looks like... Well, is Trey's aware of Zex's kind of promise to himself that, like, when the mask breaks, when my ceramic mask breaks, (laughs) even if you're not around, that means we become enemies? (laughs) I think he is, because he asks him, before his mask breaks a little later on, he does ask him, like, oh, are you going to leave me now, or or, are you able to continue at Oz now? So I I think he knows that one day he, he won't be around. Okay, he knew he knew it was a temporary friendship, temporary employee. Okay, I feel like there's a lot of off-screen romance going on here, Isaac, that we don't see. <laughs> one of the one of the first ones we get is when we learn more about Zex. We also meet his former classmate, Lucrezia Noin, who's who I really like. Actually, like her character. She has great hair, good voice. You know who she reminds me of? Who? Trinity from The Matrix, right? <laughs> oh, I could see that. Yeah, a little bit. I, I know it was ahead of time, but like. Sim- I mean, well, not personality-wise, but right. they look pretty similar. And going off what you said, I feel like she's maybe the most level-headed person on like the side of Oz. Well, unless you're Lady Un in your like Colonel persona, I wouldn't say she's level-headed. I'd say she's ruthless and like almost bloodthirsty. Right? Trey's had to kind of calm her down a few times. Yeah. Well, I meant in terms of like getting stuff done. Oh yeah, she's very gung ho. Yeah. So when we first meet Noin. You know, her and Zex, they carry around these, like, I don't know, showy swords. There's this flirty banter, and then they, like, clang their swords together. I don't know. I think those <laughs> those those classmates must have been uh, lusting after each other for years, Isaac. Probably, you know, and I don't know how Oz works. Are we to assume Noin was also royalty, or she was at least good enough in the military academy that they kind of just brought her into Oz? I took it as just she was good enough in the academy. Okay, that makes sense. Well, I guess not everybody in Oz has to be um, royalty, right? It's just, if you're one of the specials and you're loyal to them, I guess you're you're part of the group. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Wu Fei, Isaac? We haven't mentioned Wu Fei yet. He's another one of the Gundam pilots. He has what I consider to be the most savage line in the show. <laughs> Which is? Okay, Noin is chasing him uh, with some Ares, and one of them has a space laser, and they're about to shoot him. But Noin tells them, no, don't shoot. And they ask uh, Lieutenant Noin, or whatever her rank is, why not? And Wufei replies for her, and he goes, because she's a woman. And then he kills them by slicing them up with his, <laughs> with his like, partisan thing. <laughs> oh, he's so sexist. <laughs> I don't care for him. Couldn't believe it. As far as I'm concerned, he and Hero clearly went through like a very similar training program because they have very similar personalities, right? Yep. They're very no-nonsense. He's a little bit more almost a stereotypical martial arts Asian guy. Both of them in general are very cold, calculating, kind of bloodthirsty in a cold way. But yeah, I, I don't like either one of them. I'd much rather hang out with like Catra or Duo, right? Yeah. <laughs> they actually seem almost normal. Yeah, Duo seems the most normal. Duel seems very much like a man on a job, right? Like, yeah. when this is over, he's going to, like, run a, a cheeseburger business or something. 
<laughs> right? Like every, everybody else, well, Catra's kind of weird because he's got like so much money and stuff. Yeah. Cho's like way too quiet. He's like a serial killer or something, a private <laughs> or something. I don't know. He <laughs> does work at a circus. He's, he's, he's a clown. Yeah, but like, I don't know. he like does things like pet the lions. Yeah. You know? It's very strange. So. Uh, shortly after that, Isaac, we get one of the strangest scenes of the show. Relina is screaming for Hero off a cliff, asking him to come and kill her. Yeah, I, I think she's just desperate to see him again. But why? She, she has an unhealthy obsession with Hero. Probably, but does she have like a boring life, you think? Like, she's so pampered. Whenever she's hanging out with like her father, it's like, you know, she has to go spend time on her own because he's always in meetings about the crisis with the colonies or whatever diplomatic negotiations. Her school, she didn't seem to pay much attention to her friends, right? Like, they kind of disappear. Yeah, her friends definitely seem like the the yes women, right? Yeah. She didn't seem too interested in any of the other men at her her school or boys at her school besides Hero. You know, even though there was that one friend that was willing to like almost murder Hero <laughs> <laughs> during during a fencing accident. Right. To just for for insulting Relina in front of everybody. But um yeah, that guy was a good friend. Man. But anyways <laughs> um, <laughs> she's clearly captivated by the bad boy, right? I, I guess that's the explanation, Brian. These characters in this show, Isaac, they've got a lot of a lot of problems. Pretty much, yeah. Like it's, some of them sound like really stable, though. Like say what you will about Trey's, but like he seems like he's got everything under control in his life. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Trey's, we then get the scene of him in his roaring bath. Oh, that was so weird. With Lady Un bringing him some rose fragrance. That was out of left field. Is it me, or did he like install his bathtub at the Parthenon in Greece? Is that what we were looking at? <laughs> yeah, but it also it was also like in the middle of the room. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say he like built something similar to the Parthenon, and he <laughs> likes to bathe outdoors or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's very odd to have your villain taking a bath in in Gundam series or any Gundam ser- in, in any series really, and to be waited on by your like right hand associate. That that would be an HR issue today. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lydia doesn't care, but yeah. <laughs> She's like so fanatically loyal. It doesn't make sense. Like, what's her backstory? It's probably in a manga. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of Lady Un, maybe I just heard things wrong, but I swear for the first like five, six episodes, they said her name is Lady Ein, and then they changed for the next few episodes to be Lady Un, and then by the end, it was Lady Un. Did I just imagine that, or was that intentional for her split personality disorder? No, I think you're right. I remember in the beginning, a few maybe junior officers kind of referred to her one way, and Trey's got his own way of talking about her, Zex. So maybe it's a case of like the junior officers don't really work with her that often, so they saw her name on like writing. Mm. You know, they got the email like, hey, this colonel's going to be showing up tomorrow, be ready. So they refer to her in the way they think her name will be pronounced, but like Zex and Trey's and everybody else, they've. You know, they've known her for forever, so they, they know how to actually properly say her name. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell if it was intentional or if it was just some of the dub was wrong. Honestly, Brian, it was the voice actors just reading it differently. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Uh, so I would say the first romance is Zex and Noin. The second romance is uh, Trey's and Un. And then our third romance is Catra and Troa. When they first meet... <laughs> they do a duet together isaac they one plays violin the other one plays a flute and there's just this very bright background with these like lights <laughs> and i i gotta say isaac i you know back when this was airing on toonami and it was a big deal with all the the shippers in the fandom who would you know they would really pair off the 
the boys and think, oh, they're in, these two are in love. I totally get it now between Catra and Troa. I'm, that much was clear yeah. to me looking back now. Brian, I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me just say, when I saw this originally, I probably like... I don't know. I probably like even didn't even notice that scene, right? Because I was like, whatever, just get to the bad guys. Um, <laughs> but watching it now, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, they really snuck that in. They did it tastefully. And even when like Tro is leaving, like Catch is like, I can't wait to see you again or whatever, or like call me or something, or I hope we hang out again. Like, yeah. They're, they're, I think out of all the Gundam pilots, they're the only two that work together the best. Yeah, I think it was Tro who tried to leave, and Catra was like, "Oh, but I really wish he would stay." And like, I thought they were just yeah. gonna like drop Trow right there, and like we were, you know, <laughs> we were just gonna get it on. I just, I feel like there's a lot of off-screen banging going on, probably. And then you know, then they put their clothes back on and play some music. <laughs> <laughs> but um, may I say, very tolerant of the the Maganak Corps, Tro's bodyguards. Oh yeah, they're, uh, yeah. they're from a uh, shall we say a region of the world where that's. <laughs> strongly frowned upon <laughs> if not criminalized so uh the fact that they were like well it's the boss's son you know whatever yeah <laughs> we'll look the other way <laughs> <laughs> it's okay for master catra i just feel like it's very interesting because you know i remember there being a lot of pushback on that uh back in the day saying oh that's you guys are being ridiculous but if i if this was to come out today and that same scene would air today i'd be like oh well clearly at least catra's gay uh, you know, I don't know about Troa, but uh, that's how I would have read that scene for sure. Troa too, Brian. Come on. He's got that, that pretty little thing over at the circus. Nothing's going on there. <laughs> She's constantly in front of him trying to get his attention and stuff, right? And like she covering does. for him and stuff with the boss. Yeah. But that ringmaster's got to take it to the side and say, sweetie, there's something you got to know. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, sometimes things don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I don't blame Catra. I mean, Troa, he's got some hair. Yeah, like, I think Tro's hair would be very popular nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was ahead of his time for sure. Catra looks like his hair kind of goes, I guess, in any timeline. But man, Troa's, he's forward thinking with fashion. <laughs> Troa, if, if we do like a best male hairdos episode, I'm going to put Troa on my list. Wow. I mean, yeah. Does Duo go up there too? Because he's got like a braid I've never seen men have in like my life. Yeah, it's like down past his butt. Yeah, something like that. And it's like, well, I don't know anything about braids, French braid or whatever. But yeah, and oh God, Wu Fei, he's got like... He has terrible hair. I might put him on the worst hair list. Somebody has to take him aside and say, son, if you keep your hair that tight, you're going to go bald <laughs> way early. You need to let it loose or something. <laughs> Heroes is cool too, but Troage, I feel like she, he just takes a cake, so... Yeah, well, heroes is hero has like dramatic hero hair. Yeah, right? that's true. I don't mean hero with one e. Let me <laughs> yeah, like he's got like main character hero hair is what you're saying. Yeah, I also like how like the only clothes they sent him to Earth in is like a tank top and shorts. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to be comfortable on like who, who knows how long this mission was really supposed to take. It could have taken months or years, right? <laughs> <laughs> nope, one pair of shorts and a very light tank top. If he needs more clothes, he'll steal it. <laughs> oh and then so we do get to a point here isaac where colonel un ends up killing relina's dad oh god yeah they tried to like kill him really indirectly remember isaac with that like time bomb thing but then relina brought it back and then they like had to throw it in the window yeah lady un went through like <laughs> she went through the trouble of getting a bomb that looks like um like a powder case right like a yeah. makeup case 
And she had to like order that, put the right explosives in it for the right room, figure out the timer so that she could like be out <laughs> of the room. She set all that up yep. to like also avoid any connection to herself being responsible for killing uh, Minister Dorlin, Relena's dad. And what happens? Relena brings her the case thinking she forgot her makeup case. So she just like in plain view in public chucks it at the window to, <laughs> when the, knowing the bomb is going to detonate in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any cameras, there's going to have footage of like an Oz representative essentially committing an act of terrorism. <laughs> right. Exactly. But Relina gets away and like they try to go chase her or whatever. And this happens in the colonies. But then Relina makes it back to Earth, Isaac. But like she doesn't tell anyone what happened. Why doesn't she go tell anyone? She doesn't even tell her mom. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Shock maybe. But then again, like. They they could have done away with that so quickly by like a quick well maybe they didn't I just wasn't paying attention just a quick you know radio broadcast or you hear you see a quick snippet of news saying you know oh a colony terrorist killed Minister Dolan today then you'd be like oh okay I think they did blame it on someone or whatever but like she still I mean she still knows the truth she could tell I don't know so I guess I'm disappointed with her 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 inaction I guess I mean her inaction speaking of inaction the Noventa family. Oh my God, they're like the most forgiving people, aren't they? Mrs. Noventa and her yeah. granddaughter. They weren't mad at Hero at all, really. They were killing Field Marshal Noventa. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting part of the series. What was the resolution to that? Did it ever really come back? I mean, no. They just kind of wrote, I think one of them wrote Hero a letter, right? And they, were, they gave it to Rolina and Rolina... She tried to give it to Hero, and it, they pretty much just forgave him and told him, you know, you're clearly being eaten up by this, but Novento wanted peace, so we kind of forgive you, blah, blah, blah. Has she given it to him yet at this point? I think she already gave it to him, or at least told him the the gist of it. <laughs> oh, okay. Another what-the-f moment, Isaac, is there was one diplomat to the colonies, and that was Relina's dad, and he's dead now. <laughs> That should reflect what a low opinion the United Earthsphere Alliance had on the colonies. That for these possibly billions of people, they get like one representative, <laughs> you know. Or maybe that's how they just did things. They're like, Mr. Dorland, you're going to be busy. You're going to be flying back and forth between these colonies and Earth all the time. You know, you're not going to have any time for your daughter. And at the end of the day, you, you kind of have like a pointless job because we're just going to do whatever we want anyways with the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> They had no respect for him, Brian, because you remember that meeting where like he kind of reports back about this is when Operation Meteors already started. He reports to like a group of generals and I think one of them like actually lifts him up and kind of shakes him by like the collar and like kicks him out. Right. Because they think he's a a colony spy. Yeah. Which makes no sense. Right. (laughs) How is he a spy? (laughs) Yeah. What was he gaining from doing that? I don't understand. Yeah. If he's a spy, I presume he's been working for the United Earthsphere Alliance for years, if not decades, then things should be worse. (laughs) (laughs) He should have revealed like the meeting location to the Gundam pilots, but that wasn't a problem because the meeting wasn't attacked. So Uh, there was a part I thought was really funny where Catherine, the the circus girl, she's getting really mad at, at Troa. And realizes that, you know, Troa kind of has a death wish. So she gets mad at him. She's like, why are you thinking this way or something like that? And then Troa very seriously says, like, I told you, Catherine, this is my job. And he walks away in a very serious manner. But, like, he's wearing clown pants. And so, like, (laughs) the tone is just completely off. They should have put a line, I'm not clowning around. (laughs) So at this point, I think Kiro has changed schools, right? So he he goes to a different school now. (laughs) He just hacked the system. He transferred himself. (laughs) 
I think there's like a ball or something, and him and Relina are dancing, and she asks if he's still going to kill her, and he says, "Yeah." <laughs> like I again, <laughs> this is the fourth romance. I think they're just, they're gonna like hate like off screen, just very angrily. <laughs> Man, Relina really likes her bad boys, right? Is this her thing where she's like, "I want a boyfriend that tells me he's gonna kill me." <laughs> It could be. She's got problems, man. Yeah, you know what? Mr. Dorlin, Minister Dorlin being away on work all the time, it's really affected her psyche. (laughs) You know, like, she thinks, like, a man shouldn't be there for you, and if he is there, he better tell you he wants to kill you. Yeah. That's it. We just cracked it, Brian. We just cracked the case. She thinks because he wants to kill her, like, he desires her. Oh, my God. She's so warped. Jesus Christ. And now Minister Dorland's dead. He's not around anymore to, like, you know, yeah. keep Relina in line here. So I'm a little scared for Relina. She needs a better father figure in her life. She has bad parents in general because, like, you know, her mother we, her mother disappeared. She was in, like, one episode. <laughs> right. And, and the episode she was in, she was like, did your father tell you anything before he died? And she's like, no. But, like, if you were the mother, wouldn't you, like, come clean about whatever it is he didn't tell her at that point? Wouldn't you be like, yeah, by the way, your name's Peacecraft? Well, that does kind of get revealed, right? Doesn't Relena tell her something like that? And then, or Relena says, I know, later on. But then she says, like, you'll always be my mother. Right. My, but my point is, why at that point, why wasn't the mother volunteering the information? Instead of asking, did he tell you anything? She should have been like, hey, now that he's gone, we need to talk. <laughs> Maybe Minister Dorland said, you know what? If I die... I'm taking the secret to my grave. <laughs> God. Honey, honey, I want you to take it to the grave too. She doesn't even know she's adopted unless events happen where we have to reveal to her. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, again, the coup was around this time. That was, I thought, very well executed. It almost seemed like an incomplete coup, right? Because for the next 10 episodes, they're still trying to mop up the United Sphere Alliance. There's so many holdouts. They're all over the world still, and even in space, they still have different bases on colonies and asteroids and little pockets on islands and stuff like that. They're very... I don't know who they took out, just the leadership or what, but there's a ton of Earth Sphere Alliance still left. Yeah, that's fair. That does become sort of the, the purpose of the rest of the show, right? They want to make the mobile dolls so that they can... Uh, resolve in quotes all of the conflicts on earth they're just going to dispatch the mobile dolls uh, against yeah. all their enemies so yeah it, it seems like they have a fair amount of enemies left yeah they're really relying on tuberoff yes tuberoff the homicidal engineer of the mobile dolls god tuberoff kind of got the short end of the stick right because nobody has a uniform like him everybody <laughs> everybody <laughs> at romafeller and oz they get kind of you know your typical european uniforms that you'd kind of expect like you know from a couple centuries ago but Tuberov has like this, well, maybe he's a chunky guy and he wants to hide it, but he's got like a very puffy outfit. <laughs> There's a lot of poofy shirts in this show and Tuberov is definitely one of them. He didn't want anything militaristic, I guess, since he doesn't actually go on the battlefield. So towards the end of the coup, Wufei finds Trey's and they have a duel with like a hand-to-hand duel with swords. And Trey's wins basically effortlessly. He kind of like just destroys Wufei. And then as soon as he like, you know, takes out Wufei, he says, oh, that was a good fight. And I was like, no, it wasn't. It, you, you like barely moved and, and you like, you know, totally owned the poor kid. <laughs> Brian Trey's is above all a gentleman. So I believe he was being polite to his defeated opponent. <laughs> but then Wufei <laughs> leaves without just without killing Trey's. Why did he let Trey's live? I know it's because like he was honorable and he yeah. lost the duel. But well, Trey's, Trey's knew at that point that Wufei was kind of defeated as like an honorable person. So even if he got back into his Gundam, there's no way he's going to fire at the building. Uh, these pilots. 
They make Same no sense. Trace. He's very good at reading people. Yeah. So this is the point when Duo starts going to school with Hero, and they, they yeah. play basketball. <laughs> he joined the basketball team. <laughs> and they beat the other team 101 to 100. That is a really high-scoring high school basketball game. I mean, they're trained soldiers, Brian. Clearly, they've had basketball practice. <laughs> but do, do Duo and Hero not play defense? Why is the score so close? That's a good question. Maybe they rotate them out. <laughs> Maybe. Duo and Hero, like the coach knows like, okay, I looked at their records, which were hacked. I can only use these guys on offense. <laughs> so they get rotated, Brian. That's, that's the only explanation. So here's the point where Zex gets the tall geese and he goes back and frees the Saint Kingdom from the, the Alliance. One of the things that really bothers me about this show, Isaac, is there's a number of points in the show where the show has the situation in front of itself and the characters are sort of addressing the situation. They're either addressing the situation or deciding to go left or right. And there's always just this weird hand-wavy explanation that makes no sense, and then they just proceed to the next plot point as if that was a good enough explanation. So here's an example. So now that Zex has freed the Saint Kingdom, Trey's then asks him, hey, are you going to take off your mask now that you've had your revenge on the Alliance? And Zex says, no, it's my personal distinction, and it still brings... Uh, my hatred with me into the battlefield that's a response to trace's question but it makes zero sense and doesn't resolve the situation and then we just move on yeah i guess trace left it alone because he was like well whatever my my friend is clearly under a lot of stress and very emotional right now (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's quite a few more of those later on what did you think about this other character that popped up randomly kind of out of nowhere sally sally poe First, she was a an Earth Sphere Alliance officer, right? Yeah. And then Oz takes over, and she decides to become the Resistance against Oz. Right. She just kind of randomly shows up, right? She's not part of any organized colony resistance against Oz. She doesn't seem to be following the Gundams around. She just kind of seems to be doing her own plotting against Oz and popping up now and then to sabotage a, a situation here or try to blow up a Gundam there. Right. If anyone could be deleted, it might be Sally, even though I kind of like Sally because she's very no-nonsense and seems to have no real problems other than, you know, trying to accomplish her goals. Yeah, I loved her thoughts on Wufei. So when Wufei was like, you know, it was after that duel with Trey's and he was all sulking and he didn't want to fight anymore. Someone's asking her, like, you know, why doesn't he fight? And her diagnosis was, he thinks he's a loser. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> thanks, Doc, for that very accurate medical. <laughs> she's right, though. <laughs> What do you think about the part where Zex, instead of getting rid of the Wing Gundam, he took it in and started rebuilding it? I thought that part was great. It's a very Zex thing to do, I think. But at the same time, I was like, well, I remember he gets an Epion. Is this it? Then I was like, no. He's just going to keep using those multiple shattered <laughs> Gundam. But yeah, I, I I don't know. It was interesting seeing Zex using it. So what's your opinion of Zex in terms of like Shark clones? Like, where does he rank? I'll say this, and you, you probably will disagree with this. I think Zex is one of the best characters in the show. I'll surprise you and say I agree. Putting aside the whole peace stuff, what's cool about Zex is that he's very much a character on a pure revenge mission. He's different enough than Char, just based on his personality. He's less less campy, I'll say, less cheerful when he has mm-hmm. to be. He's much more kind of serious. And when the mask goes off, man, he becomes kind of dour. Right. God, him and Hero and Wu Fei are very, <laughs> they all have the same kind of outlook, it seems. But wow, 
But yeah, I think uh, he's a very good character to include amongst uh, the good ones in here with Trey's. Yeah. I almost wish that Zex was the main character. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has more layers to him than Hero. We know nothing about Hero's backstory, right? Other characters, even if they were orphans, we knew they were orphans or whatever. We would see like their kind of surrogate family, like an iron-blooded orphans or whatever. Or if they had an actual family, we'd know about it, like uh, Amuro or whatever. Yeah. In this case, Hero's a blank slate. We have almost no information on him. Trey's, though, a man on a mission. It, it would have been much more interesting seeing the events unfold from his point of view, right? The whole plotting to get inside of Oz and then work your way up and then eventually get into a position where you can get revenge. Yeah, I think he has the most compelling story out of anyone in the cast. Like you said, it's a revenge plot. He's undercover. I think that's the makings of a good story. Yeah, I mean, kind of go back to what Trey said to him, though. Zax didn't get revenge, though. He took out the United Sphere Alliance that was controlling the Sand Kingdom, but really, the people behind it all were Ramafeller and Oz. They're the reasons the Sand Kingdom got destroyed, not necessarily the United Sphere Alliance. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe that revenge is coming. Maybe that's why Trey didn't push the issue further. Yeah, <laughs> since Trey is in Oz. Oh, then we learned, Isaac, that Hero's never shaken anyone's hand before. So <laughs> he just kills them. <laughs> no need for handshaking, just killing. Yeah, I just stabbed them in the throat. <laughs> oh, then we have the very like improbable battle in was it Antarctica, where Zex arranges like a rematch with Hero. Like the lengths that he goes and the the military resources that he wastes to set up this rematch for fun is just ridiculous. And he kills so many like odd soldiers in the process. But they, they still accept him back afterwards. Did that make sense to you? No, but Oz, not a lot of things in Oz make sense. If you're an aristocrat in Oz, it looks like you can get away with most anything, right? Yeah. Yeah, as far as they're concerned, these grunts are really nothing to worry about. Your male and everybody running the show clearly don't care about viewing lives as being equal, right? They say that multiple times. They're like, you know, now we can get rid of, you know, outdated concepts like freedom and equality. <laughs> <laughs> things, that, things that aren't real. Very direct. <laughs> Attacks on democracy. What did you think of Dermail as a villain that pretty much came out of nowhere and is is almost a low-key villain? My thoughts on him are not much. He hasn't really displayed too much of his character other than he's willing to confine Trey's at the, at the end. He's a bland villain, isn't he, Brian? I think my note on him was that he was a regal jerk, whereas Tuberoff is a homicidal jerk. <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah he's kind of a stuffy guy very yeah. uh opinionated kind of the worst parts of tradition seems very out of touch i, I don't see a lot of Dremail fans out there <laughs> no no he, I mean, he's no garen zabi <laughs> all the great villains we've had in gundam series and movies and manga i would count the number of Dremail fans on one hand <laughs> you, you know who's interesting that guy that was like relena's friend at the uh the ball she went to when she shot lady on <laughs> oh yeah yeah Mar- marquis whatever his name is or mm-hmm. marquess whatever remember after she got off the shot like all the the Oz troops were like hey we have to go chase her and she he kind of stopped him and then a bunch of other guests i guess were his friends or whatever well they all know each other they kind of helped block the way too and they're like what she did was so brave right <laughs> i mean i guess it was but at the same time she just fired a gun at the ball <laughs> You know? There doesn't seem to be a lot of consequences for actions in this show. And no one's like, hey, you helped the girl who shot at the colonel. No one reprimands Zex for killing all the Oz people. I, I don't understand. 
what they have in common is they're both aristocrats. Mm, fair. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to take away. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, there was no punishment for that guy. No matter how powerful Lady Un is, that guy's part of Ramafeller and Oz. He's not going to get touched. We do start to learn more about the scientists, Isaac, about the, the five scientists, the five engineers, the Gundam engineers. At this point, they are getting arrested or gathered by Oz, and they all sort of meet up. And Dr. J, who he was the one that we had kind of met previously, he said it's been you know 15 years since we've all been together, and I'm impressed that everyone has finished their Gundams. I actually think the Zex plot and the Gundam engineer plot is more intriguing than the actual plot of the show. Yeah, and what takes it, well, the reason that is a lot of the times is because we're told these five Gundam pilots are on missions, but they have time for basketball matches and, <laughs> you know, attending classes and high school balls and all that. It's like, it seems like everybody else is actually busy doing actual things that have impact on the world. Yeah. Zach's with the revenge mission, the scientist that, you know, God, can you imagine a series on like the actual plotting and procedure of the of the of the scheme to get the Gundams built designed and launched yeah I think one of the mangas might have some more information about that so maybe one day we'll get around to reading that if if we can stomach any more Gundam wing after this is over I'm afraid yeah (laughs) (laughs) you got to count me out on that one (laughs) I'll just play Isaac's part for that episode listeners I'll I'll pretend to be Isaac yeah just complain a lot These uniforms are terrible. <laughs> yeah, aren't they? They're like my head canon is that it's a world where Europe really never lost a ton of its power. Yeah, it could be. The lore of this world is the aristocracy and you know the monarchies of the world. They really just kind of hung on to things, and as the space <laughs> age started and colonization started, and yeah, that explains why they were like, you know what, we're gonna keep our uniforms from two centuries ago. <laughs> so it, it's very much theatrical in a way but it's also kind of like well yeah this, this is our, our people's uniforms and our culture this is what we're going to keep and you know we'll even force their our puppet government to, to wear these uniforms more or less yeah that makes sense i think relena's male uniform was pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> that white kind of coat thing she was wearing that like i assume it's mainly for men well noin wore it also but it's a very masculine type of uniform right Relina had a lot of like clothing where it was like, okay, you you are clearly a very rich girl, right? Oh, the dress for her birthday, you mean? Or just I don't know. Everything she wore was very ornate or just dressy that a normal person wouldn't wear. Yeah, that's her class, I guess. Right? They're very um, that the dress a certain way, I suppose. When you're old money and all that, and you move around in the the Oz Ramafella circle, <laughs> the Ramafella circle. That's my new fashion line, the Ramafella Circle. <laughs> Do you want to be a member of the Ramafella Circle, Isaac? I'd love to be, although <laughs> I think I'm going to disagree with, like, Trey's Andermail. I don't know. Me and Tuberov might just go off into the corner, and I'll be like, you know what? We don't need to tell them we're making mobile dolls. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be our little secret. <laughs> yeah, I can guarantee Trey's is going to try to stop us. So let's just build them in secret. And then once we have like enough to beat everybody, then we can let everybody know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a better couple? Troa and Katra or the couple from Iron-Blooded Orphans? <laughs> uh, oh, the one, the one in Iron-Blooded Orphans that they never really like got together. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Actually, yeah, it's got to be Katra. It, it's got to be Troa and Katra then, right? Yeah, I don't feel like the one half of the relationship in Iron-Blooded Orphans was ever returned. I felt like it was a one-sided relationship, but yeah. I could be wrong. 
That's true. He never really told him. I th- oh, yeah, and he never told him, right? So, like a co-pilot had to tell him, like in the episode when he dies, I think, right? They were like, by the way, so-and-so really cares about you or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's like, oh, wow, I never noticed. You idiot. He went out of his way to like prepare your Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> then you went and got yourself killed. Yeah, you, you traumatized him for life. <laughs> and then, Isaac, we get another one of those parts where they just kind of resolve it with a hand-wavy explanation. So this is where Trey's allows Zex to escape. He's going to get attacked by like these 70 Oz mobile suits. Zex kills a lot of them, but then his mask breaks, right? And then he just randomly says, well, I can't be Trey's friend anymore. And then he flies away. But like, why did his mask break, Isaac? Yeah, it didn't look like there was taking a ton of damage. I remember his face was bleeding, but you think he hit it once? Like something happened in the cockpit. He was doing a bunch of movement. He hit it once. It got a crack. And then just over, you know, the next 30 seconds, like a lot of things happen with like maybe a a chipped or cracked plate or a cup or whatever, a mug. The crack will spread no matter what you do. And then, you know, it'll just shatter completely. Yeah, but if your I guess if your mask is made of ceramic, like you said, but like wouldn't wouldn't it be made of like plastic or or I don't know something more durable than? No, that's the point though. Trey's wanted. I mean, sorry, Zex wanted his mask to eventually break. He wanted to kind of give up the charade and you know go full revenge mission solo um, after a certain amount of time. So he made sure the mask was ceramic and something that would eventually break sooner or later. I mean, good thing he didn't like trip the first day that he put on the mask then. Yeah, it's like saying, I don't know, what would be the equivalent? Like, um, all, we'll be together as long as, you know, this candle is, you know, <laughs> this candle stays lit, you know. And it, it, it's a big candle at first, sure, but, like, you're lighting it every day or throughout the day. So, <laughs> eventually the candle gets to the bottom. You're like, well, relationship's over. I don't know what to tell you. The candle's done. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, you kind of imposed a situation where, yeah, what you wanted would happen no matter sooner or later <laughs> so, yeah it, it's very arbitrary he might as well have made his mask out of, like paper or something <laughs> right <laughs> a glass mask yeah that's what i'm saying you know what if he like put it on his nightstand one night and like knocked it off in like a stupor <laughs> then like, then he would have like he would have picked up his phone and like trace would have like gotten a 2 a.m phone call <laughs> trace like what zax is this you He's like yeah hi i'm sorry to wake you up i broke my mask like we're done <laughs> <laughs> And Trey's like, well, couldn't you tell me tomorrow morning? Like, what happened? Are you on a mission? No, I put it on my night table and I knocked it <laughs> off. <laughs> He's like, well, I guess we're enemies now. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, bye. I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. <laughs> Those two. I Do you see, because I'm sh- I'm, I can't step back in time and I don't really want to Google this, but do you see people shipping those two? Back in the day? Oh, Brian, everybody must have been shipped at some point, right? Yeah. There must be a, a Tuberov shift. <laughs> Tuberov ship. Tuberov with who? Demail? D- Probably one of the dolls. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say one of the dolls, but no, I don't... Actually, no, he does know who Demail is. So. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they had something going on, right? You know, they... They were like, Sura was working late, you know, typing some code, and Dermail came over with some hot tea, you know. <laughs> Comment below who you want to ship. Yeah. Tell us who you're, who you would pair off in this show. Your weirdest, strangest ships. Put them <laughs> below. <laughs> I was a little shocked that, similar to our friend Kelly Lazner from 0083, when Zex wakes up on that beach 
and he randomly runs into one of the designers of the tall geese. How fortuitous, uh, Isaac, of by course. the way. Uh, this dude has like a whole hangar in his house that he can fit the tall geese in. I mean, that's convenient. Yeah. I, did they explain where he got his money from? Because he's like filthy rich. <laughs> They said he was one of the original designers of the tall geese, so I, I, I okay. assume that we can kind of consider him like a sixth, you know, Gundam engineer almost. I'm sure that all those engineers seem to have good resources, so I'm sure they were paid handsomely. So I'm guessing that he bought this okay. hangar in his house. But I mean, that that was quite the coincidence there. So unlike the other ones, this guy actually made money off it to an extent, right? <laughs> or he at least bought property and retired. Yeah, he didn't put all his money into, like, the resistance movement. <laughs> right. Which is clearly is not going well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's living it up, right? He's got, like, a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. He's just, <laughs> he's living the good life. He's like, oh, there's oppression? Well, whatever. Not my fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he seems like he's having a great time. Do you think by default, since he, like, made money off a weapon being built, he's part of Oz or Ramafeller, or at one point he was and he just kind of left? He's got to at least be an alumni, right? Okay, so they probably know of him because of Tall Geese. It's just he's left alone since he's not hurting anybody on that island. Or <laughs> What can he yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, for all we know, he retired you know, 15 years ago, and they yeah. have no reason to go contact him. He might be in good standing, though, since he actually made Tall Geese, and that led to Leo and all that. Though. Yeah. He probably gets their, their Christmas invitations. <laughs> yeah, their, their newsletter. Yeah. Yeah, like, haven't heard from you in a while. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the show so far is also just the the Gundam engineers sort of plot to fix the Gundams and, and design their own suits to be used by the Gundam pilots uh, unknowingly. Like they designed the two new suits, the Mercurius and the V8, which I got to say, Isaac, those were the first two designs in the series, maybe besides the Tall Geese, where I was like, these are cool. I like those. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm right on board with that. Cool colors, cool design. I like their completely opposite roles. One's full defense, one's full offense. I like how when Lady Un was meeting with them, they were like, oh, so you want us to build you, you know, another Gundam that can beat the other Gundams? She said, no, I want to build, I want you guys to build me another mobile suit that can beat the other Gundams, not necessarily a Gundam. Yeah. And they they kind of took her at face value and they said, you know what, the Gundams are for the good guys. We'll build you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll build you villainous looking sub bosses in the middle of the season, but we won't build you anything else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I just liked how they were clearly plotting right from that. Yeah, under from that their noses. <laughs> right. Again, another thing that makes no sense is like, why would Colonel Un trust them? Clearly, they're going to, you know, install something or, or double cross you in some way. Yeah, or, or ensure that the mobile suits actually went to Gundam pilots that would right. fight you. It just seems very unwise, is all. Well,. I mean, nobody else can really make great top-of-the-tier mobile suits, it seems, right? They made a big deal about the Tauruses. Those get knocked out left and right, even though they're pretty good as far as all mobile suits. I don't think we've seen Virgos at that point. We see them later on, I think. A little later, yeah. But yeah, so that was that was the best she could hope for. And here we get a, yet another explanation that doesn't make sense. So this is around the time when Lady Un is trying to convince the colonies that they need to make mobile suits if there is to be peace. Lady Un convinces them that they need to do that by appealing to their admiration of a man's desire to fight. And then the scene just kind of ends, and the colonies just agree to it. And again, that's another one of those examples where I'm like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't answer their question, nor does it make sense, nor is it very no. convincing. We, we just like hand-waved our way out of this big plot point, and we're just going with it. Brian, that gets added to the list of hundreds of lines in this half of the series that are just... They were clearly written because they sounded philosophically heavy. 
we hear Zach's and Trey's and the the pilots and everybody else say so many weird lines, right? That are vaguely philosophical. You know, I I, I guess a soldier's spirit can only be determined by his passion. <laughs> or the, the nonsense, right? That right? You can you can right, see yeah. Trey's or Zach saying that, right? Yeah, it was almost like a soldier philosophy Mad Libs. Absolutely, yeah, like like a captcha, a captcha yeah. that was designed to make you know a, a militaristic quote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what we get in this series, which I did not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also around the time, Isaac, when we started seeing a lot more of Lady Un and not Colonel Un. And so I started to wonder to myself, like, is her Colonel suit like a reversible suit into like her civilian clothes? Or like, does she <laughs> does she keep lots of different changes of clothes? Or like, and how does she go? Does she change her clothes very quickly when she changes her personality like does she feel the personality change coming on and then she goes and changes or like how does this how does this work i would assume so if you remember there's a scene where she's kind of losing it i think talking to is it dual oh no it's troa she kind of starts losing it talking to troa and um a bunch of officers run in the room and they're like she needs a rest so it seems like maybe some of the officers that are kind of kept with her they might be on the up and up so I was I assume they have her the whole wardrobe when she's ready to go into peaceful diplomat mode. Yeah. And then they can quickly, you know, they'll lay out the red uniform when she needs to go into bloodthirsty mode. Well, I was thinking maybe it was a reversible suit. You know, <laughs> like the the blue is on the inside and the red's on the outside and she can just Would that work? Are they different lengths? Oh, I don't know. One's a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, she has a lot of resources. They can make a Gundam, you can make a reversible lady un outfit. There's a team of scientists that were like responsible for her clothes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the lady Un is also a little bit of a fanboy. Did you notice she, when she's asking the engineers uh, about the Vi8 and the Mercurius? She's like, which one would win if they fought in a battle? <laughs> I think they told her, well, the one that has the best pilot. <laughs> yeah, it's a very diplomatic answer. Other than that, they can stop each other. Yes, and then this part really bugged me. So Troa, you know, like gets his way, he infiltrates his way into Oz and, and becomes trusted by Lady Un. And then she lets Troa pick the pilot for the Mercurius, and he goes and chooses Hero. And then Troa says, well, Oz should want a Gundam pilot to test the suit due to his skills. Again, this makes no sense. You would never let the Gundam pilot pilot your new mobile suit that you just designed to defeat the Gundams, because it's never going to end well. Right. I think that officer there that was like against Troa from minute one is... Officer Nicole, right? Or something like that? Yes. And I, I yeah. didn't know his name for a long time, but they did name him Nicole in one of the later episodes. And I was calling him the MVP guy because he was the only one making logical observations. He was like, this is a stupid idea. And then later on, Zex gets there and he goes face to face with uh, Lady Un, except he's, you know, he has no more mask at this point. So he's just Miliardo, Peacecraft. And does Lady Un not recognize him? And he's, but he's standing right in front of the tall geese. Lady Un knows what the tall geese is, doesn't she? How does she not know that it's Zex? And and the guys like your pal Nicole is up there on the catwalk being like, that's clearly Zex Marquise. And I was like, see, finally someone's making sense around here. <laughs> she's not doing well, Brian. She's got split personality disorder. She's she's lacking perception in a lot of situations. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I th- was Nicole the one that wanted to fire the barge cannon? It was, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he was going to destroy the colony you know, no matter the repercussions. Right. And then Lady Un came back and kind of arrested him. Yes. Yeah. She was threatened to shoot him. In his defense, he was taking orders from someone way higher up in the chain of command. True. I think. True. Yeah. <laughs> Although Jamil clearly had to do it without Trey's knowing. <laughs> yeah. This is also the part where Catra's dad dies 
and just like Kigali's dad from Seed, he had ample time to escape, and he didn't do it. So again, I think that was a dumb move. Wanted to make a point. So around the same time when Zex arrives into space and he fools Lady Un, he then volunteers to fight with this one colony that has the Alliance still there that is resisting Oz. And they tell him, hey, well, we can't have an ambassador fight with us. That will sort of blow your cover or whatever. I guess that was the implication. You ready for another hand wave explanation, Isaac? Do it. Zex responds, I wear two masks. My time in battle has taught me that. And that's it. And then the scene just ends. And then he flies out uh, to battle with them and their Leos. I guess that's him saying, I don't care. I'm going to go anyways. <laughs> but it doesn't answer their concern. I don't know. Anyway. <sighs> it was a badass line. At least he thought so. <laughs> It was, it was. Then we get an even more confusing part. Oz is fighting this colony. Zex is fighting on the, on the side of the colony now as Miliardo, not as Zex. And Lady Un goes out, piloting a Taurus. Zex is targeting her. And then Trey's all of a sudden, you know, like, pops up on his monitor. I guess Trey's has Zex's number somehow. Cause I'm not sure how Trey's can communicate with Zex when Trey's is on Earth, but everyone else seems to have trouble. Like, the engineers can't talk to the people on Earth, so that doesn't make sense to me. And Trey says, "I'm hey, by the way, I'm losing power. You know, they're gaining power, the aristocrats. Only you and Lady Un understand me. And you know what? You need to save her, because her feelings for me has made her develop split personalities. And I was like, okay, but, like, why does that mean she needs saving? So then Zex somehow knows which Taurus Un is in and, like, goes and gets her. Maybe he was able to tell, like, the way the dolls are moving. Like, maybe they're moving in a... Yeah. There, there, there might be a way a human moves compared to, like, a software program. Yeah. Yeah. That would be that would be my headcanon because <laughs> it doesn't oh. explain it other ways. Be- I mean, it would make sense if, like, in other Gundam series where you can paint your own mobile suit if you're an ace, you know, like Lady Un had, like, purple or something. Well, then we'd be like, oh, of course that's her leading the squadron. But yeah. they don't do that in this series at all. No. No, they don't. Which is another takeaway, uh, another subtraction from this series overall is how how unpersonalized the battles feel. It, it, keeping the Gundams out of it, it's it's very much an assembly line type slaughter. <laughs> That's a great point. So not only are the Gundam on grunt fights very one-sided, assembly line is a great way to put it because there must be a million of these Leos and they all just kind of crumble. Ares, Taurus, yeah. uh, the elephant one things. God, it's this series holds the recognition for having the most bland battles because of how one-sided they are and how visually uninteresting they are with there being almost no differentiation between the different mobile suits. Xeon and all the other factions and enemies, you get a lot of custom and personality in different mobile suits by squad leaders and enemy aces. There is none of that in Gundam Wing. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of it being uninteresting. There were very few fights that I found visually interesting to watch. The only ones that I enjoyed, I think, were maybe when Hero and Zex were fighting in Antarctica, and the three-way fight between Hero, Troa, and Zex in space, when Hero and Troa were in the Mercurius and the Viate, and Zex was in the Tall Geese. That one was cool, because they were using the, the Mercurius shields to shield the Viate. And kind of anytime Zex was involved, it was okay in the Tall Geese. But beyond that, the the actual Gundam fighting, I didn't find it very fun to watch. No, they're not fun battles. And you know why? Part of it also is because the mobile suit designs are poor. I, I would challenge you to think of a design on the uh, the villain side that's interesting. Let me put it to you more bluntly, Brian. 
which one of the Oz mobile suits, United Earth Federation, United Earth Sphere Alliance mobile suits, would you buy as a model? Would I buy as a model? Oof. I would build some. I don't know how many of them I would buy, though. I rest my case. You do not want to buy those because they're, they're bland, ugly designs. You know, I'm sorry. They're better designs and better series that you'd want to spend your money on and actually spend your time on building. The Aries, right up there, looking horrible. Taurus, <laughs> not great. And, of course, our Leo holds the flag as the ugliest mobile suit um, in any Gundam series. I think the Taurus is okay. I, I, don't, I wouldn't buy one, but to me, the, the Taurus was a, a huge upgrade from the Aries and the Leo. I at least thought the Taurus looked menacing because of that triangle head. I thought it looked a lot like Cyclonus from uh, Transformers. I, I thought he looked <laughs> okay. Don't forget the Cancer and the Pisces, Isaac. Oh, God, those are terrible. <laughs> crab hands. The Cancer looks like it, it's a, it has a smiley face. If you look at the underside of the crab, it looks like he's just happy all the time. What doesn't make sense is that the camera, it's facing down <laughs> when it's in like sub mode, you know, swimming around. Okay, yeah, I just sure. got an image from Brian. Let's take a look. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I don't really see so much a smile, but yeah, it's got two eyes and its mouth open. Yeah, he's like happy. Like, you know, he's laughing. Yeah. Surprised. You can't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I guess before we go fully more into the designs, you know, after that, our heroes do get their Gundams back. Death Scythe gets rebuilt into Death Scythe Hell. Shenlong gets rebuilt into Ultron. Those designs are, are pretty cool, or at least they're cooler than their predecessors, I guess. We get a little bit of taste of it. I think there's going to be more of those coming, obviously, in the second half of the show. We meet Wing Zero. And then at the very end, Isaac, of episode 26, there's a great quote, which I think sums up pretty much everything to this point. Catra says, Hero, I've been wondering who our allies are and who our enemies are in this war. I get confused thinking about it. I thought to myself, I do too, Catra. And then Hero said, <laughs> Catra, the ones after your life and the targets you aim to defeat are always your enemies. And Catra says, but what if you find out you were mistaken? And Hero says, Catra, we're not mistaken about this, but it's possible this period of war has gone nuts. And Hero's right. This show's political, you know, everything has gone nuts with all these people switching sides. You know, at the end, do you remember Trey's long rambling monologue about why he needed to leave Oz? Vaguely. Is that when he interrupts Dermail? Yes. And he's like at the meeting and Dermail puts like the... Okay. (laughs) Yes, I vaguely remember him saying that like he can't follow Oz in their direction, something about like they're going to release some mobile dolls and humans have to fight and spirit, something like that. <laughs> yes. He was basically said, I want to be a loser because the winners end up declining in power and then they give rise to a new, a new power or something. So now that he considers, I think it was because he considers himself the winner, right? Like he orchestrated the coup. He's now the winner. So now he wants to hurry up to being the loser so that he can be part of the next winner. I'm not sure. He's pretty much telling them, yeah, he's leaving to make a to put himself in a position where he can make a comeback. Yeah, and they allow him to do it instead of just killing him, which again, maybe not the greatest idea. Is that the purpose of the gun? Like Dermel put that gun on the table to kind of say, well, you have to commit suicide. <laughs> oh, it could be. I thought they were just going to confine him. But why put that ceremonial gun on the table? Is that like I don't know. Okay. This is a good point. I'm not sure. This is Romafeller stuff that we didn't really understand. Yeah. I also liked that at the very end, Hero had a, a vision of Relina when his mind was going crazy because he was piloting Wing Zero and Zero System was, you know, 
making him do funky things because when he had the vision of relina that that's when i remembered that she used to be a character in this story about like 13 episodes ago yeah before she i don't know what the hell she's doing now fell off the face of the story (laughs) (laughs) we haven't seen relina in a long time right at by the end no last i saw her she was i don't even remember was she at the sand kingdom yet maybe Uh, with noin yeah she attended something as a representative of the sand kingdom didn't she yeah, she went, well, she went to Ramafeller, right, at the meeting, and then she got on stage, and Noin had to jump up oh, there and cut her off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. But, like, the fact that you don't even remember the last time you saw Relina just shows that there's either too many characters in the show or that they've just grossly mistreated her. And this comes down to my biggest problem with the show. I feel it's poorly written. I think it's got pacing problems. It seems pretty directionless at times. They don't know where they want to go with the story or what they want to focus on. It seems like maybe at some point they had this whole plot where, okay, the Gundam pilots are going undercover on Earth. They're going to have these jobs or they're going to be in school. And then later on, we'll pick up the actual plot. But that gets wiped away because what we're told are the villains, the Earthsphere Alliance, they get wiped out in like the first few episodes (laughs) and become sort of this minimal non-existent threat. Oz takes over and then the colonies join Oz, even though this whole time we thought, the colonies were going to be these oppressed good guys that we're trying to root for, but now they're we just want to be buddy buddy with Oz. It's very a whirlwind of um, things happening, of of the writing and the the pacing not being great or tight enough. And I'm surprised anybody young really enjoyed the show. So into the mecha side, we've already talked about the Leo, and I know there were some commenters, some listeners out there who were begging us to give the Leo another chance, but I don't know, Isaac. It's it's made a paper. And I guess that serves its role just fine, right? It's just cannon fodder. But to me, it's like the action figure of the character in the show that no one likes that you get for your birthday and you're sad because you would never want it yourself. That is a perfect way to put it. And it's true. Nobody likes the Leo. It's a bland, uninspired design. Whoever decided that the square kind of screen face would be the face of... The grunt mobile suits in this really made a mistake. It's it's not a good design, and I think um, there's not a ton of fans of this design for a reason. It's because nobody likes it. How about the Aries? I don't like the Aries either. <laughs> <laughs> it's got those big, huge thighs, and then like the the kind of fighter pilot helmet face for no reason. It's very bizarre. It, and, and it raises the question of why do they have Aries if they have flying Leos and they also have Tauruses. There's too many air mobile suits, right? <laughs> well, the Tauruses, I, I thought those were new. So I was like, okay, those are just the new model. Those haven't come out yet. I suppose so, yeah. For the Leos, I assumed it was because, like, the Leos are just general purpose. You can ship those anywhere and then add the backpack if you need it or take the backpack off if you don't need it. So th- I guess that makes sense. But an Aries is, like, where you just need an air thing. I guess the fighter pilot thing is intentional, right? It's supposed to look like a fighter pilot because that's the one that's airborne i i agree i don't like the silhouette i, I think it's just off-putting right yeah i don't like taurus just because i think the the pointed head thing is ridiculous and to taurus's credit i guess it can also be used in space so that's good too but uh, still i i don't like any yeah oz designs that we've seen in this first half in the second half i'll have more to say about the the virgos but until then nobody probably has a ton of these designs as models or gunpla because they just don't look good. I don't like them. <laughs> now, I d- again, I do like the Viate and the Mercurius. I thought those were good. Yeah. 
There's only one of each of those, though, right? Yeah, which is kind of bizarre. I'm surprised they didn't mass produce them or at least make them in larger numbers because they really would have made a difference, I think. Well, I I guess that's what the Virgo is, right? The Virgo has the Mercurius shields on one shoulder and then it carries the Vi8's cannon on the other shoulder, or at least a version of it, probably not exactly the same. That's true, but to an extent, you could have started pumping out Vi8's and Mercurius's way earlier before the Virgo. I just I really love the the heads on the Valle and Mercurius. They look really menacing. They have unique antennas. They give them a little bit more character than the Leo. Uh, the the Valle especially looks like a gives me a, a lot of Kempfer vibes from 0080. And the Mercurius gives me almost like a not Sazabi vibes, but that one just seems ahead of its time. Both of those were were designed by uh, Hajime Katoki, which I guess that's why we like him so much, but and plus, the, the Mercurius has to have a special place in your heart, Isaac, since that was your first model kit. Yeah, it'll always be there. I kind of like its shield kind of defenses. Um, that's something this series has that's pretty unique. Instead of having bits, what they had was these sort of floating suspensor field things. So that's that's a very Gundam Wing-specific technology we never see anywhere else. Isaac, what about the tall geese? I know you don't like it. I just not, I'm just not a fan of it. I I think it might be the legs. If you look at its lower legs, they're like it's like a pure cylinder. It's a very <laughs> unstylish design. It's very unaesthetic. I'm not a fan of the crest thing. And if you remember in the series, if you take off that crest thing and its face, it's actually a Leo head underneath. Yeah, it it's a good portion of it looks like a Leo. I think there's just something about the tall geese. It's not something that, relative to other Gundam series, that I really enjoy. But within the show, I think the Tall Geese, I think I like among the best so far. I think it's just the color separation is better than the Leo, right? The Leo is all one color, which is probably a mistake. If you split up the colors, if you give it multiple colors, then I think they could look a little better, like the Tall Geese. Yeah, I'll definitely say the Tall Geese is a a front runner out of the villain mobile suits for being more cool looking. But yeah, I wouldn't put the Tall Geese on any list to buy. Even if I could get it for free. <laughs> I, don't think I, want any of these, I don't want any of these Oz Mobile suits for free just because I would, I'd rather not put the time into them than put them into another model. I, I don't know. I think the Tall Geese within the show has a lot of weight. Like whenever Zex pilots it, that thing goes so fast. He shoots everybody down. He pilots it very well, and I think it has a good impact on the show. Yeah. All the verniers and all the the shield and the big gun i think it really changes the silhouette and the, and the head thing from the leo in a good way to where i feel like the leo is like a boy and the tall geese is a man if that makes sense <laughs> that's a good way of putting it oh man <laughs> tall geese too i'm kind of looking forward to since i think that's a somewhat better design but okay. yeah the tall geese one itself is it's better than most, but that's not saying much in Gundam Wing. <laughs> <laughs> what about the other sort of grunt suits that we saw? The Maguinax and the Oliphant. I didn't care for them too much. The Well, actually, the Oliphant, I thought that one was actually okay the most. Yeah. Maybe because it's got that cool sort of hover tank mode. The Maguinax core, I, I didn't think those were really that interesting either. But for whatever reason, they seem pretty invulnerable since none of them die. Yeah, they did great. Yeah. I thought you would love the Oliphant just because it's like basically a Dom's lower half and a gun. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I don't know. I think it's just the blandness of the face. Does it even have a face? I guess it has a face. 
Well, you know, to the extent that Leo has a face. Yeah, okay. Yeah, overall, I think it's it's still a bland design. Sure, it can hover and stuff, but, you know, nothing beats the Doms in terms of, of hovering and, you know, that type of role. All right, how about the Gundams? Let's let's start with the least loved Gundams and work our way up. What, what do you think about heavy arms? I guess I kind of like the colors, but just missiles and Gatling gun. It's not on my list to buy. I sound like such a, a downer. <laughs> I feel like the colors are too bright for its weaponry. All right. Uh, I don't know. Fire and fire colors and it's focused on firepower. I thought it kind of worked for me. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. I'm sure there's uh, adamant fans about all these. Heavy Arms doesn't really do it for me. That one's definitely not on my list to buy. Sandrock. What do you think about Sandrock? I think he's probably the most boring out of the Gundams. Yeah. Like what what always confused me about Sandrock and Death Scythe are that they both seem like they were designed for close combat. So that's kind of a redundancy, but maybe the designers had no idea what the other ones were doing, so they just kind of focused on their own thing, and that's why we have two. I'm not a fan of the swords or this little Uzi machine gun thing. <laughs> not a fan of the design with the kind of Thundercats kind of chest thing. Um, <laughs> man, I, I'm, listeners, I'm sorry, but I'm going to sound like I'm not a fan for any of these, really. <laughs> okay, how about Shenlong? I, what I like about it, it almost reminds me of Mobile Fighter G Gundam because it's clearly a Chinese-inspired mobile suit. At least it's got some style that way. You know, you might as well have called it Dragon Gundam or something. But I, I wouldn't buy it again, but it's got flavor and personality. At least I'll say that. I'll give it that. I'll agree with that. And the dragon arm is very unique, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't see that very often. It differentiates itself from everything else. How about Death Scythe? I'm not a Death Scythe guy. I don't like the poncho. Um, I understand that the rationale is that it makes it cloaked. I'm not a fan of the beam or energy scythe. I just don't understand what the allure is. And it's pretty popular from what I understand. I don't think it's a good design. It kind of makes sense story-wise, though, right? The, the Gundam's on a secret mission. Of course they're going to make one cloaked. You know, Maybe the designer yeah. thought, oh, well, he assumed everybody would be cloaked since we're on a secret mission. But, um, yeah, I, I, I figured... Maybe a ranged weapon would be cool too, but whatever. It does really suffer from no ranged weapon. I mean, it gets its ass beat by the tar- the Tauruses. It can't really shoot back, so it definitely needs a gun. No. And what's interesting in this series is the Gundanium alloy isn't impervious as other Gundams are, really, because yeah. the, the Death Sides get gets destroyed outright by a beam hit from a Troa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I do think you're in the minority on that one. I think people love them some Death Scythe. Well, they can keep loving it. I just <laughs> if you love it, go for it. For me, it's not it's not for me. How about Wing Gundam? Unit one. It's a very hero looking Gundam. It's clearly the main hero Gundam. Yeah. That said though, I feel like it's kind of centered Emerald Chest Jewel. We we reach Megazord levels in the design. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not that big of a fan of it. I kind of like a more militaristic looking design rather than something that's, uh, you know, kind of stylish for its own purpose. I think it's, it's the buster rifle thing is too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like city destroying at a certain extent. It seems very much a, almost a super weapon Gundam that they built, right? Yeah, that one, I think what's most off-putting to me is like the little yellow things around the chest piece. It just, I don't know. It uh, makes me not Megazord, like it. right? <laughs> yeah, something. And just all these Gundams have very big shoulder pads. I guess it was the 90s and like shoulder pads were big. Or maybe that was the 80s. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I do think the Buster Rifle is probably a little too big. Yeah, I don't know. Wing's not my favorite. 
And then we did see Wing Zero there at the end quite a bit. I think Wing Zero looks a lot better than Wing, even though they don't look that much different. Again, they got rid of the yellow vents that I don't like. Do you like Wing Zero any more or less than you like Wing? No. As far as I'm concerned, the designs are they're too close to really make a difference. Mm, got it, okay. Which makes sense story-wise, but still, you know, as I said before going into the series, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, my opinion has not changed. If anything, I've doubled down <laughs> watching it now as a, you know, as an adult again and, and realizing how much I, I didn't enjoy. It's, it's just been magnified. <laughs> yeah. All right, Isaac, how many horrors would you give the first half of Gundam Wing? Oh, boy. Listeners, to get through this series and save myself time and pain... I had to watch this at 1.5 and also two times speed. Oh my God. So that should tell you what I actually think about Gundam Wing. (laughs) I feel like there's so many good and interesting ideas in it though. And I wish they actually executed it well because it sounds like a series where they really wanted to dive deep into philosophy and politics and war pacifism, the role of, you know, automation and robotics and warfare and, human roles in warfare and and all that but unfortunately they really didn't stick the landing like it's almost a catastrophe i feel like (laughs) so for that reason i'm gonna give it one and a half out of five Ooh, ouch all right i'm not gonna be too different here (laughs) i think the plot is overly contrived and too bloated and that makes the execution on what should be a very simple premise and intriguing premise you know bad basically there's way too many bad decisions or unusual decisions with hand wavy explanations by the characters every character in here somehow has a suicidal death wish like i think almost every pilot tries to self-destruct or does self-destruct it's very strange i mean there are some positives here Uh, i think there's a lot of different mobile suits which is good there's a lot of like the volume of mobile suits is good even if i don't really like most of them uh, I think the coup was really cool. I think Zex's story is great. The engineers are great. I just tend to not really like the main characters too much. So yeah, and overall, I think it was a, I think it was a chore to watch. Isaac took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> We've not had a series where we both felt that way yet. It was a little, um, I don't know, unexpected that we both felt so laborious. Exactly laborious to get through this. So, for better or for worse, that's how we felt about it. I'm hopeful for the second half. Maybe it'll get a little better, so we'll see. We'll see if Isaac makes it. Maybe he'll have to watch it in three times speed. If only my streamer go up th- went up that high. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's some big improvement in the second half, ah, this isn't one I'd probably revisit again in the future. Um, so I'm going to give the first half a 4 out of 10 because I'll be honest, listeners, I fell asleep probably every time <laughs> I tried to watch the show. Wow. It took me about three weeks to watch 26 episodes, which is, a, which is way too long. So Wow. Brian, having given your score now and I myself given my score, let me ask you something else that's almost mm. sort of its own rating. Would you recommend this to anybody that's interested in Gundam but hasn't seen a series yet? No, I wouldn't. Good. I think this is great for people who have watched a lot of Gundam or people who watched it back in the day and want to revisit their Gundam glory days. I think it's fine for you because you know exactly what you're going to watch. And you'll, yeah. you'll give a lot of things a pass, I promise. You, you, the things that bother us probably don't bother you, and that's totally fine. Dare I say this would put people off <laughs> <laughs> if they entered in it blind? <laughs> I think it would, yeah. There might be some people that would enjoy this type of show, right, where just the characters say lots of weird things and they're just pretty looking... 
the show is a little old though now i don't know that it it holds that that prettiness may have faded a bit relative to new series yeah but it definitely i don't think would give you a good sense of most of the other gundam shows i mean this one just feels very different um i don't remember it feeling that different when i watched endless waltz over and over back in the day and for the limited episodes i did see but uh yeah again chore to get through unfortunately we're always pretty honest here isaac we're not gonna lie to you listeners um this one's a chore to get through so four out of ten i'm sticking to it <laughs> listeners i would and i think brian also would be very curious though if if you're a big fan of gundam wing and that's fine we're not gonna jump on you in the comments or anything like that please comment below tell us what you like about gundam wing what you enjoyed about it if you've watched it recently um how you felt seeing it after all these years if you haven't seen it since you know back when you were younger um, what you remember about it, what you remember really liking about it. I'd be really curious to know people's nostalgia, nostalgic feelings for it, anyone that's reviewed it, what they've thought about it. Do you agree with us? Do you agree with at least some of our points? Or do you think we, we're completely off the mark and it's actually a great series? We're just viewing it differently or we're just not understanding it as well as um, as you are maybe. So yeah, I, I definitely would be curious what you think about it. All right, listeners, make sure you like, comment, subscribe. Isaac, take us away. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed. Get on your knees. Put your hands together. Look up at the ceiling and hail the Roma Feller Foundation. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.